If you're an average player, you want to be left alone, right? Because you want to be able to slide by. If you're a good player, you want to be coached. If you're a great player, you want the coach to tell you the truth every day. Did I hustle on that play? Did I make the right read? Did I play the guy with the right leverage? You want to know every play. Because you know why? They want to be perfect. Everybody here makes a choice to do one of those three things. Welcome to the Goat Consulting Podcast, a podcast dedicated to people striving to be a goat, the greatest of all time, serving it up in a way that you can get it in all stages of life. Hey, I'm Colby Jubinville, and welcome to another episode of the Goat Consulting Podcast right here in studio at VC Productions in Nashville, Tennessee. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to give you an abbreviated version. Abbreviated version. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> said Iceland. I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking cold, Okay. Uh, to my right, always at the table, my good friend on the Sprinter, hiring new people every day, lifestyle mogul. <laughs> lifestyle mogul. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler Burnett to the left. Thank you Living so for much. the lifestyle. The LinkedIn whisperer, the calming force to our show, John Byers. And our now good friend, who I think is going to come back and see us more often, Stephen James. And Stephen, we, uh, we had a great conversation with you in part one. Um, talking about the leadership lab and, Man. and Sage Hill counseling. I don't. I don't feel like I answered any question that you asked me. It's okay. You did. <laughs> Just one of three. <laughs> <laughs> Look, tell me what time it is. I'm gonna tell you how to watch this bill. The history That's of Switzerland. Right. Well, we're not. We're not just making the pie bigger today. We're actually um, building a bakery. That's and, right. Uh, and then we're gonna line up the trucks and we're gonna start serving the people. Love it. Uh, we appreciate you being here. We are the Goat Consulting Podcast. We serve it up in a way that you can get it like Waffle House. In our twenties, we get in the game. In our fifties, we say this is what I really want. Mm. There you go. Goats are no, goats are easy to see in sports. They're recognized for their greatness. They elevate the play of those around them. But in business, it's people like Stephen that come and join us at the table, people that compete on unique perspective, unique education, and unique experience. What they do gives them energy, and it gives other people energy, creating new levels of challenge and new levels of opportunity. We appreciate you being here all the way from Iceland back to Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, we can almost say meaning. Oh, it gives you meaning and other people meaning. Meaning, meaning purpose, and meaning. contribution, gainful oh. employment. Stephen James, uh, it's all you. Hey, glad Dev to be Digital. Here. We're, we're great. Dev, Dev Digital. Dev Digital is awesome. They, all things digital. They Talk do. to Dev Digital. Okay, we left off our last episode, the first guest episode of all time, that we didn't answer these two questions. I and love I, I being that not, guy. Yes, I know you do. And I did not <laughs> want to cut it short because I think you may have some thoughts around this. I'll keep it tight. Would love to, one of the ways we honor our guests is we have them give us their own definition of a goat and then share a goat. And we've had all kinds. People, place, things. Some folks share multiple goats on categories, whatever, all the obvious in sports. We've had things like Julia Childs and we've had um, Richard Simmons and Zima. Right? So yeah. We, wow. We, we've had the, yeah. the same person, Richard Simmons and Zima. I bet that was the same person. <laughs> it was. John. Yeah. <laughs> Tupac. We've had the, the th- Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. All that to say, based on our first half of this conversation, fascinated to hear what you, how you would define a goat and what you might share as a goat. Okay. I, I, under, I think I understand your question. It was long. Um, no, it's a great out. question. What what do what do I think of a goat? What do I think a goat is? Give us a definition. Yeah. So yeah, when we uh, said it's about people, a that... goat is a little tougher than lamb. <laughs> but if you roast it the right way, it is still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. 
And and you know this would have been the goat podcast had someone not already had that in which they teach people how to raise goats. I, oh, so now, we now can this we is can the start a sister podcast. podcast called the Lamb Podcast. The Lamb, the Lamb Chops, Lamb Chops. Um, so I understand the question of like greatest of all time. Um, I I no longer try to think that way. Okay. Uh, so I think it's a great motivation. I, I don't think it's wrong. I found for me though. It limits my perspective about what I want to accomplish because it takes my perspective and puts it outside of me. And I start living unconsciously in comparison to other people and other events. And so um, instead of trying to live and create the desires of my heart, what I've been step into, what I've been called into, you know, what are my great devotions? How do I, you know, give my life to those things over time so that I end up having a legacy, right? Would you when say I, that goats? might think that about the very reason that they that they are a goat or do you think they don't necessarily realize it and they're think, just living I think into when what I, you just when described? we get into a ranking system it's it is a it's a, those are not bad systems we we're talking before about key performance indicators and mm-hmm. stuff like we have we there that's a way to, to measure things rankings are one way to measure things it's a very limiting way of measuring things because mm-hmm. it's it's a it puts me on a ladder with other people mm. and on other experiences. Instead of knowing what this experience is, this is some deep stuff, John. You sure? This is deep. Okay. So it's a whole other way of thinking, but it's it's um, modern thought asks the question, how does it work? What's it What's it do? Right? Like So th- that's a ranking system. It's mechanical. It's materialistic. And, and when, you, when I'm looking outside of me to see how I'm doing – I'm caught on a hamster wheel of shame. Looks like a ladder I'm climbing, but it's really just a hamster wheel of shame. Mm. And so my how I think I'm doing is based on my perception of you and how well you're doing. So like so it's, it's not bad. It's just not a it's not sufficient. Can I step in there for a second? Yeah. Yes, I'd love to. Uh so I spent a lot of time in my room alone because I was always in trouble. Okay. And I could either read books or listen to music. Yeah. And my dad, who was my stepdad, that took my life over when I was one, is an amazing dude. Oh, that's named awesome. Wayne Williams. And he, he created the Wayne Williams School for Better Living and Better People. <laughs> that was what I grew up with. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and so he made oh, me no. listen to all the different albums that he grew up listening to. And one of those was Neil Young. Oh. And, and in this Neil Young song, it says... He says, it doesn't mean that much to me to mean that much to you. Hmm. And sad. It, is, it is sad, but it's also profound in the sense that if you think about goats in the way that we define them, what we say is that goats are people that compete on unique perspective, education, and experience. And so... Yeah, I'm and I'm trying not to compete anymore. Period. Like I'm, that's that's the I'm, that's the part that you have. The I issue am with. trying to get outside of that that frame. Yeah. I'm highly competitive. Yeah. Okay. Like I, mm-hmm. you know, Junior Olympics. Oh yeah. I mean, Orange Theory. Orange Theory. I I blew up a knee on Orange Theory. Like ground it down to the bone. Yeah. Because because I don't know how old or young you are, but if I can stay in that orange zone, great. Watch me be in the red zone for 50 minutes. You're not supposed to do that, but they ranked me. I'm going to be on top of that chart, right? When I ride Peloton now, it's a discipline for me in the mornings to have the leaderboard off. Mm. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't buy it. I don't buy that you don't compete. 
I'm not. I'm not saying I don't. I'm very competitive. I know, but I'm saying you want to be the best version of yourself, and you want to be the best leader for these other leaders. So you're competing to be that every day. I is want that to be a question, or is that a statement? statement. Well, the, what, the way that that's why I said I don't me, believe it's an, you. It's an accusation. As points. Put your gun up. Yeah. Uh, but that's what you do, right? No, got very. You don't. Here. No, I, I'm. I'm working. He pointed at him really hard. He got aggressive. <laughs> he said, "Put your gun well, up." I'm confronting. Well, you can see this is this is provocative stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. Because we, I mean, if we have found success, we have done it through competition, mm-hmm. and that's okay. I'm not saying good bad. First, we got to get off good bad, right? Mm-hmm. I'm saying for me, I have found that the competitive framework limits me in what I can accomplish, what I can um, do, who I can be in the world, because it's a narrow track that I end up comparing for me, my insides to the outside world, instead of looking deeply and going, what is it, what's important for me? What's my life need to mean? What do I want it to stand for and stand on so that when I'm gone, there's a legacy behind mm-hmm. me? Well, and that's, that's the point that I was trying to make when, when Neil Young made that statement, because once I heard that, what, what I started to do is say, I want to, and I didn't figure this out, I couldn't articulate it until later, until I heard it from Thoreau, but to advance confidently in the direction of my own dream. That's good. And to endeavor to live, live a life that only I could imagine. Yeah. Where I would find uncommon success in common hour. And if I think about the that's sports... Really that, that's he just He just dropped some Thoreau on us. That's good. When I think about <laughs> the sports good. that I played, I never wanted to be the guy to take the shot in basketball. I always wanted to be the guy to get the rebound, turn around, look at everybody on the floor, decide who was the best shot to win the game, and put them in a position to do it. Yeah, Totally different than Tyler. Tyler wants to take the shot. He wants to be the last one at the bat. I never wanted to do that. I always wanted to be there. And I think to your point, and and turn around and look at the whole landscape and go, here's the best play. And it's hard for the Tylers of the world to connect with that because I think I probably air more with you. You and, definitely do. And that. I think I'm starting to ask the question. <laughs> and here's where, here's where I, when, as you were sharing, one of the things that's come up for me lately, and I don't want to make this a, po- a political discussion, but I keep hearing about, in the light of the, the midterms coming up next week, we've, we're going to win this state or we're going to win this or this person won this conversation. And I keep thinking in my head in a way that I haven't been aware of before. Like, you can't win politics, right? Like, oh. and, and I feel like there, if based on what you were saying, and I won't, it'll come out messy and yeah, I won't articulate it well, but I feel like part of what you're saying is we, we can't win in certain areas and maybe rather than thinking of it like as, life you can't win life you can't win life rocky you balboa you said in rocky four or five or six he's talking oh. at his son and they're, they're in an argument his son is pissed that like rocky's overshadowing him his son's trying to be a man young guy and rocky said hey life is gonna hit you so hard nothing hits harder than life nothing mm. You know, and you can get back up and move forward or not. That's up to you. So the there's two common, like, things that every human experiences. Life is tragic. We lose. We all die. You can't win life. Life wins. Mm-hmm. So life is tragic. And inside tragedy, it's profoundly unfair. You do, you do not get what you deserve. Mm. You sometimes get worse. You sometimes get better. But it is a way that life just kind of, 
deals you cards. And they're awful sometimes. Mm-hmm. Why don't we teach people this? Because it's scary. We we want to we want to believe that I have some kind of control over my destiny. Hope. Well, I hope something no. something out something good's about to happen, and it's not coming from me. That's hope. So there's so that's the other part of the coin. So same side of the, different different side of the same coin. Life is tragic, profoundly unfair, and life is beautiful, and love is the greatest force in the universe. Right? Those don't go together neatly, but that's called life. Yeah. Right. And and so a lot of times when we get into a performance based identity, or uh, overly competitive mindset or achievement focus or I mean I, I do all those things and have done and will do, will do again it just limits our experience mm. and, and limits what we can actually do right because we're always measuring ourselves based on some standard outside of us instead of asking some better questions what does it mean for me to be me what do I do with the gifts I have? How do I express myself in the world? How do I invite other people into the story? Like, we're not the center of the story. There's no Human beings have this fatal flaw that we think we're the center of the universe. Yeah. We're not. My, one of my kids thinks that. Well, Probably it, all of them. If you have a teenager or a toddler... Which yeah. they're developmentally the same thing. Yeah. A, a three or four year old is the same thing. They both as a believe teenager. that. Yeah. They both think they're the center of the universe. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and, and we have to outgrow that. You said just a second ago about asking better questions. I think one of the biggest things I have learned from you over the nine years that we've known each other is, and, is to how to ask better questions and to be more thoughtful around the yeah. questions that I ask. And it's still something when. You know, recently in Leadership Lab, you heard me ask a question. You said, "No, no, no. let me, let me, sh- let me give you a better way to ask it." Like I'm still learning that. Yeah, and we I, all are. And I love how, like, thoughtful you have trained me to think about asking questions in a unique way. And even some more recently, which I think I brought this up in here, is like, why being an indictment? Uh, and so I'm trying to not. It's an ask. accusation in every language but English. Yeah, say more about that. In every language except English, why is interpreted as an accusation, not a question. And so it, it intuitively puts, when you're in a conversation with somebody and you ask them, why did you do that? Or why is this? It forces them to stop having their thoughts and start creating uh, a, in their brain a process of trying to answer what they think was going to satisfy your question. It's self-protection. Yeah, it puts it puts a defensive posture. Yeah. So in in uh, I'm very I'm very much like that all the time. Yeah. Like if my wife attacks me, I pow, and then I'm like, oh shit. Yeah. You know, I, I was a little aggressive there. I was. Yeah. I've been competing my whole life, and I just you just came at me, and I competed with you. And yeah. I'm like, mm. You're on my team. Hang on. This is. Mm. Yeah. And that, so we get defensive. <clears throat> it's in uh, Chris Voss never split the difference. Have you ever read that book? Phenomenal yeah. book. Um, he he basically he's using marriage counseling skills. I mean, he, he, they the story in the book is we went to Harvard that failed so we went and learned marriage counseling and do that with people now, <laughs> and it works better. Um, but they you know he talks about the question why in there you never you never do why you do what how when where well because that's really what you're wanting to know yeah 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 and why it's really about the attitude the tonality, um, but. Why doesn't lead to a better conversation? It leads to a justification and explanation. Yeah. And so when you get an answer to something, answers stop the conversation. Questions keep a conversation going. Mm-hmm. So the the best thing we can do as people, 
but really as leaders, is like, what's the question I'm carrying? Like, what's my what's the question that's a lantern for me that I'm it, I'm guiding my life with this question as opposed to looking for an answer? Because once I find the answer, my trail stops dead, mm. right? So I want to have a good question that can carry me for decades. I think that's what a calling is. But mm. what's the question I'm asking deeply that's going to carry me for decades? And if I'm a leader, I've got a light, and people are following the light because I've, I've asked a version of the question that they're drawn to and because they have the similar question. We could probably camp the rest of the time on that. but I, I, like, wanna... how you, I like how you brought camping into Lantern. That was good. Yeah, it was, good. It was a very intentional. Very good. Um, one of the things you said earlier is, and I've heard you talk about this recently as well, is I, you may have to poke holes in the quote, but I think this is how you said it. Uh-oh. You said, my relationship with risk is different than most people. Than most people, yeah. Because my relationship with loss is different than, with, than most people. Some version of that? That's. I think I said that in the car last night to you when you were driving. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I added the second part for the first time. I realized that when I was talking to you and Vanessa on the so phone. So say that again. So I recognize my relationship with risk is different than most people. My risk tolerance is a lot higher. So joking with you earlier, like I'm the go, Heather's the woe. Mm. Right? I see what can be done. She sees how it's not going to work. Mm. It's When it functions, it's incredible. And I've learned to bring her my ideas that I think are like so clear and fully developed. Yeah. And go, hey, how's this great idea not going to work? And she's like, let me tell you. <laughs> you know? That's what I do with my team. Yeah. And it's unbelievable the perspective you get. It's like, oh, that's a good perspective. My mom yeah. said my frontal lobe was underdeveloped, which is why. I- it's, tr- it's true, too. But yeah. yeah. It's so, well, I did the dumb. So, but I, I've learned because I have had to be uh, reliant on myself in some good ways and some not good ways. I've looked to myself for my own answers. I've learned that, like, risk, if you can handle loss, you can handle risk, right? If, if you understand that, like, um, you're going to lose, is that then you're playing a whole different game. Is some version of that, like, go to Vegas with a set amount that you don't care what happens to it? Is that kind of what you're saying? Okay, yeah, absolutely. That, that wouldn't be risk, though. Risk would be like, I'm betting on black. I'm putting it all. I was playing poker, or not poker, blackjack. I hate Vegas, by the way. Yeah, Vegas to me, me too. is That's the disgusting. worst. It's why would you everything ever wrong with Western culture? Yeah, just rolls up down into, into Vegas. Yeah, it's so well, heartless. Well done. So heartless. It is it's disgusting. Now, I feel sad when yeah, I go it's there. It's lonely. Yeah. you smell like nicotine all the time, <laughs> and it's just weird. But I was there a few months ago. And I stopped by. <laughs> well played. <laughs> and I stopped by a casino. I do an act in a casino there. <laughs> and uh, and I was playing blackjack with a couple of guys, and um, and I'd won a little bit. I'd lost a little bit. And I'd not. I never really played blackjack at a casino. So I was like, you don't certain things you don't do with your hands. You just. You don't touch people, apparently. I'm a touchy guy. Me too. That's that didn't go well, but. And so I was tired, ready to go to bed, and I would had broken even. Mm. We, we all, the three of us played craps for 13 minutes. I lost half of my stake in 13 minutes. Oh, wow. That, that table was cold. <laughs> so we were all halfway down. An hour later, I'm back to even. I'm ready to go to bed. A sane person would have just taken their chips, got their money, and said, that was a fun night. Not Stephen James. <laughs> Not anybody that goes in the casino, actually. So, so I well, was really interesting because I was playing with a guy that uh, is a physician by training, very intelligent, 
ran a medical practice, a group medical practice. And I was with a guy that ran a uh, um, transportation company. Their personalities are quite different. Mm. The the physician's very much professorial. He's just there for the experience, watching people, seeing what's going on, learning about it. And he's winning money because he's smarter than anybody else I've ever met in my life. The logistics guy is very safety-oriented, very conservative in his uh, mindset. Is is built an incredibly valuable business. So it's, it works for him. So I'm sitting there going, well, I just yeah, just put it all in there. And there's like some extra chips I had that meant something else. I still don't know what they mean, but they were worth a lot. I put them on some extra spaces. People who gamble know what I'm talking about. I have no clue. The whole table turned out to be like, you get that that's a jack that the dealer's holding. I said, go big, go home. Yeah. I just got up and left. I knew I hadn't won. I was ready to go to bed. But if I'd have won on those bets, if they would have busted, right? Because mm-hmm. I had a, I was sitting on a 19, so they had to be a 19, right? So if they would have busted, which they did and they got a 20, uh, uh, I would have walked away with a lot of money. Yeah. I, I lost. So what? Mm. It hurts. Okay. I've hurt worse. That's your relationship with risk and loss. Yeah, that like you're talking about like one of the greatest soccer games, greatest of all time, greatest soccer game ever played in was not bronze medal game I mentioned on the last podcast. It's not the conference, you know, tournament game. It was not the game I got MVP in college. It was not any of that. It was my senior year in high school. We were playing the state finals on our home field, state semifinals on our home field against Christian Brothers High School out of Memphis. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you one thing. Those guys aren't Christians. They <laughs> did not, not appreciate those guys. And we've been playing. There was nine out of the – eight or nine of the 11 starters were seniors. We've been playing with each other since we were in fifth or sixth grade. And we were down two to nothing with five minutes left. We knew we were going to lose. And we were – both those teams were nationally ranked teams, Right. So it was. We, we knew this was the. Everybody knew this was the state final. That the other two teams were playing tomorrow. If we did any of those teams showed up, we're mm-hmm. we're gonna find. So it was. There was. We were crying while we were playing the game. We were just. Our hearts were in it. it our hearts were broken through it. Mm. And we stand. We stood around with each other, crying and hugging, remembering and laughing. Greatest soccer game of all time. Loved it. Wow. We lost two to nothing. Lost two to nothing. Didn't get a state championship. The juniors that played on that team got a state championship. The sophomores played on that team got a state championship. Why do you say that? Why do you say that was the greatest of all time for you? Uh, Band of Brothers. Yeah. Mm. And we were sealed in the heartache. And I, I swear we have something more sacred than Christian Brothers High School who won that won the, the, the next day. Like I'm sure those are great guys, and I guess they get together and talk about they won that state championship. But – like, I think about how special that was in 1991 and how that band of brothers, our hearts were knitted through pain and sacrifice and devotion and tenderness. That was, it was, that's the greatest soccer match ever played in. And do we you, lost. Do you think this stuff choose, chose you or did you choose it? I don't know, man. That's a great question. Um, I always wonder that with people that find themselves where you are. I know I've been working really hard to make the world a better place for a really long time. Yeah. Going way back to when I was a little kid. Yeah. You know, my favorite place, greatest of all time moments, I'm doing it now, was uh, sitting with my grandmother, and she sang in the choir loft at Inglewood Methodist Church. uh, And 
East Nashville. Long, before East Nashville was cool. But then before it was not cool. It was like this yeah. suburb. And we would drive across town from Donaldson. If you're not from Nashville, this means nothing to you. If you're from Nashville, you're finding out I'm like middle class of middle class. Like, yeah. So we would drive from Donaldson to, to Inglewood. And my grandmother would let me sit in the church pew with her, um, like in the choir loft behind a pole. And, and she would sing. And, I, and she was a terrible singer. But I thought it was the most beautiful sound. Mm. And she was the head recovery nurse at Vanderbilt Hospital for 30 years. Oh, wow. Right? And there was something about her heart of service that I think I inherited some of that, like a heart of care and tenderness. And yeah. you know, that's some of who I have in me mm. is that. So, yeah. like, certainly it got me, but I've also cultivated the heck out of being of maximum service in the world. My last thought is a, gr- a leader's greatest accomplishment is when they become of maximum service. Yeah. not of maximum power, that they actually start empowering other people. Amen. Um, so, uh, Southwest Airlines has some core values. <laughs> For everybody there, they got core values. Mm. You make management, you've got extra values. Extra you make senior, yeah, there's extra responsibility and, and expectation. Senior management has additional values. One of them is to give away power. Mm. Because they know if you are consolidating power, you've bottlenecked an organization. So the best leaders know my job is to... Sh- spread power to spread decision making to spread inspiration like spread out that's why you can be on a southwest airlines and the and the flight attendant is empowered to solve your problem and make a party out of it whereas you get on american airlines and they're just pissed that you're on the plane yeah they get so, the, say that the, again they get say, the air marshal say that again so that um so that our audience can hear it the the leader's greatest like uh, the greatest evolution said, of a leader, yeah, the greatest evolution is to come to a place where you're of maximum service. In maximum the world. service, yeah, not of maximum power. Not of maximum power. You're actually giving away your power to have other people be great. You're going to need to pause and rewind that and listen to it again because it's really good. I, and I want to segue just a tad to this segment that we have that really comes from the thing. We're not there yet. I'm getting ready. We're, we're the things that we think and do not say. And it comes from the movie Jerry Maguire. That's good. It good comes movie. from the beginning, one of the greatest of all time. And uh, when he writes his mission, it's not a, uh, it's it's not a, a memo. It's a mission, not a memo. It's, it's, I remember mission it's, statement. Mission statement, not a memo. And it's called The Things We Think and Do Not Say. Yes, the future of our business. That's it. And we've had some great topics on here. I've wanna sh- I want to hear from you because one of the things that I still find intention within business is talking about feelings. And yeah, so and, and, fundamentally and, human experience. And maybe it's I think it's tension across families and yeah, business starts families. and relationships and everything else. And I feel like again is another um, honor to you and, and a way to tell you thank you again. I feel like the language in our house has changed over the last nine years, and unfortunately, well, that'd you know, be a lot because of what Chip Dodd taught me. Yeah. So Chip Dodd wrote a book called The Voice of the Heart. Incredible, incredible book. Working with Chip, I was an editor for that book. Uh, working with him to write that book changed my life personally, mm-hmm. and um, that's really important. Yeah, and that's it's important to say. It's like, yes, I was giving you something I've been given, and I can tell a distinct mm. difference in my kids from when I met you when when John David was seven and five and three, and we didn't have G, and now John David being seventeen, the language, and then even my four year old that uses the language that I've learned from you and <coughs> and indirectly through Chip, yeah. I think is very meaningful. How do we take that into a business setting appropriately? So, it's, so a 
uh, Google did a study called the Aristotle Project, and Google was trying to understand why certain teams outperformed other teams. And it wasn't because of pedigree. They were curious because teams with Harvard, MIT, Yale were getting outperformed by teams from Western North Carolina Votech University. Mm. Okay. Not if, you, if that's actually a university you went there, <laughs> Don't I'm sorry. Don't send us your hate mail. <laughs> um, and so they, they deployed all these psychologists and consultants and accountants and uh, people to study teams. And they, they the number one driving indicator of success of a team, high-performing teams, was trust. High trust. Higher the trust, the higher-performing the team. They defined trust as psychological safety is their word. They didn't call it trust. They called it psychological safety. The ability to tell the truth, share your thoughts, your ideas, your experiences, and offer feedback, ask questions, ask for help, without fear of reprisal, judgment, abuse, you know, being fired, mm. right, marginalized. What I know, what they, they didn't discover anything, okay? They just talked about what are functional and dysfunctional families, right? One of the hallmarks of a dysfunctional family is you can't see what's happening. You can't speak it. You can't feel it. You mm. can't express it. Right? So you have to adopt survival skills to make the family work. Some good notes, though. He's taking yeah. some good notes. <laughs> yeah, our audience all knows he's taking good notes. <laughs> I like the notes. Um, can I get a copy of the notes? We're yes. done? Okay. Yes. So what Google found out was if you grow up in a system or a culture where you can't express yourself, right? Mm-hmm. If you can't, we can't say what I feel, say what I think, say what I need, or be curious about what other people f- think, feel, or need, then you're going to be half a person, mm. right? And you, so you're going to over, you're going to perform. You're going to, I mean, you're just not going to bring your best. You can't bring your best. And so, what I mean, so when you have want to have a healthy company, you've got to be a healthy person. And the healthier the person, it's going to draw healthier people. And then you're going to have better conflict. This is five dysfunctions of a team. Patrick Lancioni. Yep. Absence of trust. Fear of conflict. Is rooted in fear of conflict, which leads to decreased alignment, lower performance, and less results. Something like that. Accountability. Yeah. Lack of accountability. So that's all grows in trust. Yep. Right? So if I can have conflict with you, we have trust. Mm -hmm. Which means I can tell you, I can share my insides about what I'm experiencing in the outside world. When, when you did that, I feel this, I think this, I need this, you know, instead of making up stories about you. But a lot of us, because we grew up in fa- – everybody grew up in dysfunctional families. Yep. Sorry. But a lot of it – you say yep. it like this or you're trying to get people to hear you. <laughs> if, if you grew up in a family where one person's attitude dominated the whole system, that's a dysfunctional family. Yeah. Okay? If you grew up in a family where one person was drunk, stoned, checked out, avoidant, depressed, or anxious, you grew up in a dysfunctional family. I just described every family, yeah. by the way. Yeah. If you grew up in a family with abuse, <laughs> emotional, physical, or sexual abuse, you grew up in a toxic, dysfunctional family. Mm. Okay, So I just covered every family. Yeah. If you didn't know you grew up in one of those families, you're in denial mm. is the word, and which means you're probably dissociating what's really happening around you, and you're an impaired leader. Guaranteed. But guaranteed. Leaders that tell the truth, ask good questions, create productive conflict, don't shy away from it, 
like are high capacity, high performing leaders. And it creates trust if you do it with care and love. And it makes all the more sense to me now about at least in, in even a unique way than it did a week ago about the iceberg. Yes. Yeah. You know, the reason you do that exercise. Yeah. We, we an individual. Yeah. So in, in leadership lab and in, in our cohort work, your initiation to our leadership community is to do a leadership iceberg where you really, we don't really care about what's above the waterline as much as we care about who you are below the waterline. That's right. And so if you can't tell me that story, I can't trust you. But if you can tell me that story, I find out we're actually more the same than different. Mm. I've always, I've always said that, that what is the foundation of trust? If I have to trust you, you have to trust me. We have to trust each other. We have to trust the process. We say that stuff all the time, but nobody can tell you. Risk. What Risk the, is the foundation of trust. I think the foundation of trust is safety. And safety. Yeah, I've got, okay, I got a risk to find out you're safe. That's right. And I'm safe with that's you. Right. That's good. I like that. Safety in business is am I known? Am I heard? Am yeah. I valued? Am I important? Does my opinion matter? So here, let's, God, what you said is so good. Because how crazy it is to risk safety in a world that's tragic and unfair. Yeah. Like that's insane. Yeah. But if you don't, you'll end up alone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Right or mm. or even worse, like everybody else, <laughs> or you'll have a lot of policies. Yeah, you've come with a lot of rules and policies. A, can you say that again? To that, risk, I don't know. Rewind the tape. Yeah, uh, you'll be alone. You'll be alone if you if you. It's in, it seems crazy. It's how crazy to yeah. risk trust in a world that's full of heartache. Mm-hmm. It's an unsafe world, yeah. and if the foundation of trust is safety, which I think it is, then it's a risk to to trust anything. Yeah. And most sure. high-performing leaders, we've learned to only trust ourselves, really. Mm. Yeah. We're super go-getters. We'll strap it on. We'll assign ourselves responsibility. Yeah. We'll take on extra. We'll keep pushing. We'll keep pushing, you know. And yeah. so that's it. I'm that's good. I, we, that good. We, we may need to have Stephen back in the future if he'll have us. Well, um, when he gets back but, from Vegas, but, let us let but, us know. Yeah, I will but, actually be in Vegas tomorrow <laughs> on the oh way to St. George, Utah. <laughs> this is just a quick stop I, in Vegas on the way to St. George, Utah. I actually did my research for the show and knew that. So Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, before we land the plane, the last layer the of plane. the Stephen James Onion, we're going to ask Southwest you <clears throat> to pull out your, your songs. Okay, uh, where do I go here? And how about go to... And just type um, on repeat here. There we go. So, oh we, gosh, we, we would You're like a, this for you, is so me, Beyonce. Share, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Share with us top, top Tito five Fuentes. songs. Tito Fuentes. Most okay. listened to. On- Wildfire by Watch House. Okay. It, or uh, Mandolin Orange is their old name. Watch House is their new name. Incredible song. All around you, Sturgill Simpson. Ooh, Sturgill. Mm, Sturgill's good. good. Sleeping on the blacktop, Coulter Waller. Gosh, you could awake my soul, Mumford and Sons, mm. and then we're now we're back to Watch House, Belly of the Beast, and then more Sturgill. You can have the crown. God, more Mumford and Sons. More. This is really good. I didn't know th- this is the stuff I've listened to the most. <laughs> That's not true. There's <laughs> so a bunch of Drew Holcomb in here. Uh, some Michael Bublé. I, I love Drew Holcomb. I do too. Drew's a good man. Good. His wife Ellie can sing. Gosh, she can sing. Um, so yeah, that's that's Any, my for list. that list. Any KC and uh, KC no, but I've got my uh, my twenty year old son listens to KC the Sunshine Band, <laughs> so they're coming back apparently. If we were in a therapy session, I would say, so what does that say about you? Those five songs, but I won't do that here. We'd say, uh, full of heart, tenderness, story, truth, great, great crier, great, uh, uh, not as good as John Byers. <laughs> that's true. I don't think anyone is. I Thanks can't for believe being you, here. You, this was so good. good. Man, thank you. 
Hey, so thank good. you so much for yeah. for um, letting us into your story. Yeah, thank thanks, you so Colby. much for, for sharing that. It's fantastic. Um, we uh, we're thankful. Thanks, man. And and appreciate uh, the great work that you do. And John always uh, John always has the coolest relationships with. Uh, with people that have unique perspective, education, experience. Hey, I got so one question for real, real quick. Yeah. We won't go too crazy deep. Okay. I know you can, but, you know, so many times leaders, I don't know how to stay shallow. I've been I working know, on it. I know. So many times people say, well, I'm going to step back and stop working in the business and work on the business. Yeah, you do that. Would five, you say this you leadership lab you're talking about? Yes. yes. <laughs> is more like, hey, like, we have a dysfunction, we got a problem, like, we're going to sit down and work on this? Yeah, I mean, well... Certainly, every week you should take, you know, ninety minutes and work on the business, not in it. You talking yeah. about strategy, or are you talking about uh, tactics and tactics? Okay, like what's happening this week? What's our? How do we keep? You know, everybody do what they say you're going to do. Accountability and tactics. Yep. Once a quarter, you need to take a whole day and work on the business. Once a year, you need to take a whole day and rekindle and realign your vision to your big vision. You, for most people, most organizations. We don't get to elevate ourselves. If you're in a giant company, you're a CEO, all you're doing is working on the business. Mm. Most of us, like, we get our hands down, we get our hands up, we pick our heads up, right? But we need days where we look up, we look around, we look up, we get, pick our heads up, we look around, we look up for our inspiration, and we look out where we're going. But we can't do that much. You actually don't need that much. But you do need at least five days a year. An annual planning day, quarterly planning days, and then you need a weekly meeting where you're stopping and slowing everything down, reconnecting as a team, and you know, if, if and I think daily stand-up meetings are awesome too, but um, but that rhythm of working on that sh- often for a lot of companies elevates you enough to work on the business, so you're working on the right things or in the right things. Cool, I love it. You're making the world a better place. I'm trying, man. I, I'm gonna lose. But it's a good fight. It's a well, good fight. As you go out to Vegas, ride hard and, and don't die. We appreciate Thank you. you. We appreciate you. you being here. For Tyler Burnett, John Byers, Stephen James, and our good friend Mikey on the board, this is the Go Consulting Podcast. Boom.